Sarah, thank you very much for reading. Let me pray before we begin. Father God, I thank you so much that we have your word. Thank you that it's real and even though that these words were written a very, very long time ago, they're still very applicable now. Lord, please, as we come to them today, give us ears to listen, hearts that are receptive to listen to your word as well. And Lord, I pray that we won't just be gaining knowledge today for our minds, but Lord, change our hearts, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I wonder what you want or expect from a king who's reigning over you. I emailed a few of my friends this question, and here's some of their responses that they came back to me with. They said they want someone who's full of respect, someone who's got a sense of humour, someone who's honest, realistic, someone full of compassion, fairness, interest in the people's view, someone with authority, someone with justice, someone with love. I wonder how the future King Charles or maybe King William would get on with some of these uh, characteristics. And tonight we're going to spend our time looking at the rule of a perfect king, how he rules, what his kingly characteristics are, and what the consequences of his kingship are. And the king we're learning about today in Psalm 72 isn't just a sort of warrior first into battle king or a rousing speech giver. The king of Psalm 72 is unique. Special in a class of his own. He's a perfect king. And we have a king in this psalm who is blessed. He will in turn bless the people also. I think if you have a look down at verse 17, it gives a helpful summary of the psalm. In the second half of the verse, it says this All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. So anyone under this king's rule, it says, will be blessed. But the question remains, doesn't it? Who is this? Who is this perfect king? It's Jesus, isn't it? Or is that a bit of a, is that a bit of a Sunday school answer? Is it the is it the great King David, or is it is it maybe Solomon? Is it to him, or is it for him, like it says at the top of the psalm? Or was it for his son? It, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? Well, Christians disagree on some of these questions, but they all agree agree that the king described is ultimately not an earthly king. It's Jesus, the promised Messiah. So before we crack into this uh, this royal psalm tonight, it's worth just saying that uh, this psalm slots in at the end of book two of the psalms that Andy said you'll be going through. And it gives a glimpse at the great universal king. Book two starts back in 42. In Psalm 42, with the psalmist lamenting his circumstances, longing to return to God's presence. And today's royal psalm helped the people of Israel to long for the promised Messiah. And my prayer is that today uh, it will help us to long for the Messiah's return, but also to see that he's the present king ruling over everything now. Uh, You should have a handout on the back of uh, the sheet there with tonight's four points on the great king that he's. Uh, a king that's righteous, he's universal, he's compassionate, and he's everlasting. And that's where we're going to be over the next uh, 20 minutes. So firstly, the righteous king. Let's have a look at verses 1 to 4 if you want to read along with me. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son, with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. 
He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. So these verses tell us that Jesus is the righteous king. His reign will be just and righteous. So the psalm, uh, if you look down in verse 1, kicks off uh, by saying, uh, Can you see, uh, in doubt, give the king God's justice, God's righteousness, God's will in dealing fairly, rightly and honourably. A picture of justice prevailing at all times in the king's heart, in his aims, in his action. A good king should be just, fair and upright. You would agree with me, I think, on that. You would want that in a king. But how many judges and kings aren't like that? Abuse their power or rule with dishonesty. But this is a prayer for kings, for God's king to rule with righteousness, to be just. Sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Maybe a bit obvious, fairly obvious. But see the blessing that comes from this righteous king in verses 3 and 4. The mountains and hills will bring prosperity and fruits of righteousness. In other words, rich blessing and well-being come under this king's rule. Can you see, though, that verse 3 is an outworking of 1 and 2? A rule of righteousness and justice is the ground, the kind of soil, the climate where prosperity grows. So a rich blessing only comes from a righteous rule. And some would hear this and go, great, great. That means that Christians now are going to have money loaded. Well, broadly, there's spiritual prosperity now of love, joy, peace, etc. But material prosperity, well, that comes in the new heavens and new earth in the age to come. Okay, I've got that. But, but who's included in this haven of righteousness that it talks about here? Who's, who's in that group? Is it the loaded banker? He can get involved. Or the yacht club member? Ritz gold card owner? Who's, who's in this group? We'll have a look at verse 4. The righteous ruler will defend the needy, the afflicted, the children. There's no bribes or no favourites with this king. He rules with justice and he vindicates their rights. Can you see this is a good king? A good king will rule like this, with justice and righteousness as his rule. Know that if I mention Hawaii, I'm in the grave danger of losing many of you to the golden sands and the perfect dream holiday with the turquoise seas. But interestingly, I found out the other day that uh, the state motto of Hawaii is this: the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. It's trivia for you, know, just in case you ever get that in the pub quiz coming up. Uh, but nearly 200 years ago, this this motto was established in the country there for lasting righteousness. And justice to shape the state for years to come. I know it's talked about a lot at the moment, but the opening ceremony, it was amazing, wasn't it, to see all those countries from all over the world coming through. But I don't know if you, it struck me, maybe just because I've been looking at the psalm, but so many of the countries coming through, the commentators are saying this is a country that's been through great uh, war in the last few years. There's troubles in this country with leaders that are corrupt. It struck me that, that all states, all countries need this kind of king in Psalm 72. And to a certain extent, the people of Israel had righteous rulers in David and, and Solomon. But in a far greater way, we enjoy Jesus Christ's kingship. And Jesus' rule demonstrates this perfect combination between righteous justice and compassion. He's strong enough to deliver and judge righteously, but gentle enough. To take care for the weakest in every trial. 
somewhere now in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, famously looks forward to the great descendant of David, Jesus, uh, God's chosen one, the Messiah. And it says in those verses that uh, with justice and righteousness, uh, he will judge and deliver and give decisions to the poor of the earth. And King Jesus always acts accordingly uh, to God, doesn't he? Because he is God Almighty himself. He's the final standard of what uh, is right. So the first thing we learn in this psalm is that the king is righteously righteous. Secondly, he's a universal king, verses 5 to 11. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. He will be like rain falling on a main field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemy will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. So here the king is universal. His empire is global, if you like. And I think these verses kind of zoom out to give us the big panorama of what's going on here. And tell us that it's no, it's no ordinary king that we're reading about in these verses. You see verse 5, it says that he's going to endure as long as the sun. I guess that's older than 78.2 years or whatever the, the average age is. His rule will be to the ends of the earth. It's not just a small kingdom. Verse 8 tells us. And this is really no regular king. I don't know if when it was being read you saw that. It's no regular king. No ordinary king that we're reading about here. And there's a certainty in these verses of his everlasting universal reign. It's not sort of an optimistic film scene where the number one brave warrior comes to the front and uh, delivers a big speech saying, May the king live forever! And everybody claps and there's a big toast. There's none of that. This king's reign is everlasting. It's a never-ending reign. Verse 8 to 11 show us the king's worldwide rule. It encompasses all places, all people, from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. Distant shores show the king's universal reign in terms of territory. Desert tribes, enemies, prominent leaders of Tarshish, Sheba, Seba. And in fact, verse 11 shows us that all kings and all nations will both bow before this king, but also serve him as well. Can you see that the whole world is under this king's universal kingship? Even his enemies, what does verse 11 say? They lick the dust. Who is this king? What staggering universal power that he has. And great though, as I said, David and Solomon mostly were. Can you see that their lives, if you've ever read about their lives, never matched up quite to what this psalm here says, this vision Only the Messiah, King Jesus, who the psalmist was looking forward to, would equal this description. His his kingdom knows no bounds. His kingship is universal in scope. So to apply this, Jesus is is the great universal king. He fulfills this outrageous vision in these verses and he reigns at this very moment. You might say to me, well... Nathan, have you not switched on the news recently? Have you not seen the earthquakes, the war, the 
the trouble that's going on in the world. Come on, wake up. Well, you might have heard a Christian speak of the now and, and not yet of God's kingdom. So in the now of his kingdom, Jesus rules now in that he guides all affairs of nations for his gracious purpose of calling out a great number of people to himself through the gospel. But in the not yet of his kingdom, he is coming again to establish his universal reign in a new creation. His universal reign will flourish forever in the new heavens and new earth. I'm really looking forward to that. And for those of us here today trusting in Jesus Christ, we have the sure and certain hope of being there with King Jesus under this rule forever. But it's not just in the future that we're looking forward to. The reality is that at this very moment, seated at right hands in heaven, Jesus is there with the Father, ruling and reigning over everything. The phrase now and not yet is appropriate. He is reigning over us, sustaining our heartbeats at this very moment, helping us to keep going and serve him. But in the now of his kingdom, he gives us many wonderful spiritual blessings and riches, love, joy and peace, friendship with God through King Jesus. But there's also a dreadful reality for those who aren't bowing the knee already to this king. Verse 11 spells out the the universal response to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That actually willing or unwilling, every knee will bow to him as Lord. Every knee. In the New Testament, Philippians 2 spells out this truth. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heavens and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is King. To the glory of God the Father. We will all universally bow down before him on the day of judgment. Which side will he be on? The consequences are eternal. Bow the knee willingly now as you turn to him now in repentance and faith. Or bow the knee unwillingly then as he sends you away from his presence forever. That's why we do these evangelism training things as Andy was talking about earlier. Because the consequences are eternal. So the king is righteous, universal, and thirdly, compassionate. So verses 12 to 14. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. So these verses show us, I think, clearly... That the king is overflowing with compassion. For whom? It was the needy, isn't it, again? We've got a taste of this back in verse 4. But in uh, verses 12 to 14, the king's compassion and love are on full display. His justice is impartial and he protects the needy, the poor and the weak. What a great king we've got. He uses his might on behalf of the unfortunate in society. Is it just me or do you find this verse is hugely comforting? This king's no bully, he's no tyrant. He's full of compassion. To who? The down and outs. The socially rejected. This isn't just sort of a, a publicity shot for the Saturday morning papers with uh, a couple of kids at the orphanage. No, it's uh, overwhelming compassion for the people who have no help. 
goes far beyond the work of any Nobel Peace Prize candidate or winner. There is a rescue, it says in verse 14, which anticipates that the king will rescue the needy because of his compassion. His righteous justice and compassion go hand in hand together. But this isn't always the case, is it? I know uh, many of you here might have studied at school the uh, Hitler. I have uh, read into him more as well later. Some of you might know that his early policies targeted children with physical and mental disabilities. And later on he authorised uh, a euthanasia programme for adults in a similar uh, way named Action T4. You might have come across this. And officially over 70,000 people were killed. But actually later figures show it was more like 275,000. More recent research shows that uh, over 200,000 people were killed. These uh, people with uh, mentally, mental and physical disability were killed by starvation, medication and many in the gas chambers between 1939 and 1945. The needy who cry out, the afflicted, the weak, treated with wrath, not compassion. Death, not love. Can you see this huge chasm between the treatment of the needy, the outcast? Death, torture from a corrupt ruler or deliverance. Rescue, compassion from a truly great king. And again, we can see these promises revealed in Jesus Christ. You don't have to look far through the Gospels, do you, to see that Jesus didn't just heal some of these helpless, weak guys. He, he hung out with them. He cared for them. He loved them very, very deeply. He didn't come in uh, in the gospel narratives with, with an AK-47, but he came in with humility, compassion for everybody. Jesus, when he came, didn't just fulfill the Old Testament expectation, but he broke down social barriers. He cares for each individual citizen then and he does now as well. We can hear these words and take them, I think, as comfort. And for those of us here tonight, I'm aware many are away, but some of you might be going through tough times, hardship. You're in the midst of affliction of some kind. No one obvious near you to help as well, feeling weak. Well, know that if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you have a king of compassion who's ruling over you right now. But this doesn't seem true. Well, again, there will be hardship in this life. But the believer, again, looks forward to this now and not yet final healing, final rescue, final deliverance when Christ returns, when he takes us to be with him forever. But at the same time, though, through hard times and troubles in this life that I'm sure some of us might be going through, we need to know that he's a mighty protector. And we can genuinely know his security and compassion at all times. And before we move on to our, our last section. If he's your king now, if God has and is being so compassionate to us. Then how can we, how can we lack com- care and compassion to others? If we really sort of began to scratch below the surface of this compassion that's shown in these verses and we can see in the Gospels. I think it would transform the way that we care uh, for others. Maybe caring for some here in the congregation who are hurting from the death of a loved one maybe. From suffering from 
depression, sickness, oppression for being a Christian in the workplace. I know it's easy to be uh, superficial in conversations and they can be very brief sometimes after church or before church, sometimes in a rush. But wouldn't a church fashioned by King Jesus' compassion to us, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if the church was built on that? So maybe that just means getting practical, looking for people who maybe are struggling, finding life hard at the moment. doesn't need to be a huge thing. But look for a need, look for showing Christ's compassion maybe to others in the congregation. So finally, uh, the everlasting king. Verse 15 uh, to 17. Long may he live, may gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Let grain abound throughout the land, on the tops of the hills may it sway. Let its fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him. And they will call him blessed. So the king is righteous. He's universal. We've seen just a minute ago that he's full of compassion. And lastly, verse 15 to 17 tell us that the king is everlasting. The name of the promised Messiah will endure forever. And he will bless. I think these verses, uh, they show us a two-way blessing. There are the blessings that the king brings to the people and to the land. But also the blessings that the nations bring to the king in verse 15. It says the people are to pray for the king. Bless him all day long to praise God for all that he's done. To pray for him that his kingdom and honour will spread. But again a blessing for the people. A time of growth of the kingdom increasing. It mentions grain here. Uh, maybe we don't uh, relate to this as much now. But grain was a sign of, of wealth. And the psalmist wants grain to abound everywhere. To grow in ridiculous places like on the top of hills. That just doesn't happen. But Israel will be blessed. And even the mountaintops bearing crops of grain for the blessing of the people of God. And you see, the Christian delights in the very thought of the blessing of this Messiah King. The blessing that he will bring. And the blessing that the nations will give to him. So it's a prayer for the kingdom of God. Our prayer that his name and honour will spread uh, through the gospel. I mentioned verse 17 earlier. Uh, but the second half of verse 17 is tied in so closely with some of the promises to Abraham back in Genesis uh, chapter 22. Let me read what, what they say. Uh, so the angel of the Lord speaking to Abraham said this. And through your offspring, that's Abraham's offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Does that ring any bells? That was a big arrow pointing to Jesus the Messiah. And as verse 17 here is as well. All nations will be blessed through him. And they will call him blessed. This verse is clearly pointing to the same promised everlasting Messiah, King Jesus. So the king is everlasting. And these verses, using the imagery of Solomon's day, David's day, ultimately are fulfilled again in the new heavens and new earth. In the now and not yet of Christ's kingdom. Christians can hope, yeah, for this prosperity. Not earthly riches, necessarily. Now. But eternal, everlasting blessing in this kingdom to look forward to. 
And we live in a sinful world, so we won't be seeing this blessing now. Don't be surprised by that. But we have a great everlasting, certain hope. I was thinking the other day, how, how, often do we, how often do we think about this? How often do we just stop in the busy hustle and bustle of London life and just, just stop and think about this everlasting reign where we'll be forever? His reign is truly great. So to conclude, I, my hope is that today, maybe in some sense, has just opened our eyes a little more to see what our King our King Jesus is like. How breathtaking his rule is. His ways, his concerns. Perfect in righteousness and compassion and, and universal and everlasting in reign. And if you are trusting in him, have, have renewed confidence to bow the knee. He is a great king, isn't he? He is a great king. I thought we could conclude by maybe, if, uh, if you close your Bibles to open them, again, uh, verse 18 and 19. Maybe to read those together, just to finish um, with. And in many ways, they tie up the themes of this psalm, and a book two of the psalms. David longed for the day when the sun would be set on the throne and would reign forever. And only in the eternal, universal reign of Jesus Christ, the righteous and compassionate king, are these prayers ended? Do they find their realisation and their goal? So let's say together, uh, join together and saying verses 18 and 19. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. Let me pray to finish. Father God, what a great king. What a great king we have read about in these verses. King Jesus. Lord, I thank you that they were looking forward to this king. And we can look forward to being with him forever as well. Lord, fill our our minds with hope for this future day where we will be with him forever. The blessing that we will receive fully then. And Lord, help us just to to maybe stop in this uh, busy period of life. Just to think about this blessing to live it out, and to love King Jesus much more because of it. In his precious name, amen. Thank you very much indeed, Nathan. Um, it's always good, isn't it, to try and think about how on Wednesday, when you're sat at your office desk, and you know, the, the manager or the director or whatever is giving you a real good mouthful because you haven't done X and Y, or you... You know, you're just feeling low about life, whatever it may be. Just try and recall uh, and see how this will help you throughout the week. How what we've seen in God's Word will help you. Just look at the titles. They're very, very helpful outline, which Nathan's provided for us. I was just trying to think, you know, in Jesus being our righteous king, how does that transform the day? It should give us great confidence, shouldn't it, in, in his righteousness, that imputed righteousness. That swap of the cross to show that life now is just not the end. Whatever we're getting thrown at us, no, universal king. We can look out to her all around. It, there's so much here, isn't there, that should apply and just 
come into our lives day by day. Try to remember it. Try to recall it. That that outline is a really, really helpful way of doing that, looking at the nature and the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ as the week goes through. Well, we're going to sing now as we close our meeting. And a really appropriate song, looking forward uh, to that throne um, where one day we'll come before that throne, we'll see the sun there, that lamb who'd become our shepherd king, and we will reign with him, glorifying him face to face.